Christopher Booker answers the question, why do we tell stories in this way? He writes, again and again in the storytelling of the world, we come across a certain image which seems to hold a peculiar fascination for us. We see an ordinary, insignificant person dismissed by everyone as of little account who suddenly steps to the center of the stage, revealed to be someone quite exceptional. An obscure little squire accompanies his master up to London for the solemn ceremonies surrounding the choice of a new king. A mighty stone has appeared in St. Paul's churchyard with a sword fixed in it and the inscription that anyone who can pull out the sword shall be king. All the great men of the nation try and fail, but to everyone's astonishment, the unknown young squire steps forward and removes the sword effortlessly. He becomes King Arthur, the greatest king his country has ever known. A little ungainly duckling, quite different in appearance from all his brothers and sisters, miserable at being ridiculed for his size and clumsiness, sets out into the world where he sees a sight which takes his breath away. Some great white birds, more beautiful than anything he has ever known. They are swans, but they fly away for the winter, leaving the duckling more miserable than ever. Finally, spring comes, and he sees three swans on a lake. He swims toward the kingly birds, fearing that, like everyone else, they will only mock him for his ugliness. He lowers his head in apprehension and catches sight of his reflection in the water. To his astonishment and joy, he sees that, without knowing it, he has become a swan himself. In the words of an onlooker, the most beautiful of all. So familiar did this plot become to us in childhood that we take its almost unvarying regularity for granted. It is, of course, the story of how the little orphan Cinderella, dressed in rags and forced to sit in the ashes by her cruel stepmother and vain stepsisters, is enabled by her fairy godmother to go out to the ball, which eventually wins her the hand in marriage of her prince. Most of the variations on this rags-to-riches story we met in childhood were adapted from folk tales, and it's perhaps not until we begin reading through folk stories from many countries and cultures that we come to appreciate how universal this type of story is. The basic outline of the story we know as Cinderella is reckoned by the students of folklore to have given rise to well over a thousand different versions found in every corner of Europe and Africa. In Asia, the earliest known version dates back to 9th century China and among the indigenous peoples of North America. Other permutations on the rags to riches theme appear so often in folklore that on this score alone, it must be regarded as one of the most basic stories in the world. It's true the hero or heroine begins the story largely unformed in the shadows cast by the more dominant figures around them, but it is central to the story as they gradually emerge from these shadows toward the light that the hero or heroine are not marked by these same hard self-centered characteristics 
we always see them as a positive against the overshadowing negative, and in this sense, as the story unfolds, they do not change their essential character. All that happens is that they develop or reveal qualities which have been in them, at least potentially, all the time. To the point where, by the end of the story, two things have happened. Firstly, all the dark figures have either been discomfited or have just faded away, and secondly, the hero or heroine have at last emerged fully into the light so that everyone can at last recognize how exceptional they are. When Cinderella goes to the ball and meets her prince for the first time, it's not just the magnificent clothes in which she has been dressed by her fairy godmother which catch every eye. It is her innate beauty and obvious sweetness of nature which fine clothes have only helped to bring out. It is a telling detail at the end that when the prince finally sees her in her rags, he at once recognizes her as the young woman he loves. She does not need external trappings to be seen as beautiful in the eyes of the right person. Words of Christopher Booker in his study, Why We Tell Stories. Music Box Playhouse in Swoyersville invites us to the ball in their production of Cinderella, as told by Broadway masters Rodgers and Hammerstein. The show opens September 8th and runs through the 24th. Director Dana Feigenblatt and musical director Larry Voitko, host and co-producer of WVIA-TV's Keystone Edition Reports, paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk about this telling of the classic tale. It was originally made for a TV movie, and it had Julie Andrews starring. And then, of course, there was the Leslie Ann Warren version. I remember that one as well growing up. And then in the 90s came a version with Brandy and Whitney Houston, and I remember it airing on TV and watching it live and thinking, wow, this is how I hope they bring every musical to the screen like this and be able to tell the story if you can't get to a stage version. Yeah, for late in the medium of television, where the media had become more and more fragmented and we had cable and all of that, that TV broadcast of Cinderella, you know, tens of millions of people tuned in for that. It was, again, appointment viewing, which was uh, getting to be less and less usual and was a big hit. And also in that was Victor Garber and Jason Alexander, famous from Seinfeld. And, Whoopi and Goldberg. Yeah. But, you know, the difference was they, they rewrote some of the script and they added some songs to the original and, and kind of filled it out because the original TV production was meant, I think, to be a 90-minute musical. And so it got fleshed out. And then I guess they took that, Dana, and brought it from that TV into something on stage. Yes, and it's called the Enchanted Edition, in our case, mm -hmm. for the script. There are actually a number of editions out there, apparently. Yeah. And you picked this one specifically because you enjoyed so much that 1990s, mm -hmm. 97 or something, that production. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was a great memory. Do you just love directing musicals? Is that something that I do. You... I, love, I love performing in them as well, but 
lately over the last few years, especially becoming a mother and working full time, I think I enjoy this aspect much more. It's it's really just so exciting to see something from beginning to end and know that all the time and effort that your whole team put in made that come alive for people to really enjoy. And Larry, we know that you too love performing mm-hmm. in musical theater. Yeah, I've been doing that for about 50 years. Can you yeah. believe that? <laughs> <laughs> Though I had done some music direction before, now that uh, I have more time on my hands, being retired from being here daily, I thought uh, I'll get back into music direction. And I tend to have a really soft spot for the classics, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein, Lerner and Lowe, things of that sort. So it seemed like a natural for me. And there's so, so many beautiful songs in that. Ten Minutes Ago, of course, uh, and we have In My Own Little Corner, In My Own Little Chair. And then just a gorgeous baritone ballad, you know, do I love you because you're beautiful or are you beautiful because I love you? And then when I came across the other songs that they put in from other shows, for instance, they use the sweetest sounds, which is a great tune that became kind of a, one of the great American song, you know, American Great American Songbook songs and been recorded by many. But that was originally in a musical from the early 60s called No Strings, the only musical that Rogers also wrote the lyrics for because Hammerstein had passed away by that time. And also in that, what was unusual for that time, the lead was an African-American woman. And that was Diane Carroll. Those of us remember Diane Carroll. She was really up and coming at that time. She, she won the Tony for that. Uh, first African-American woman to win the Tony. But The Sweetest Sounds is just a gorgeous little song. And the way it's set in the show is is really interesting. In the musical that we remember, they don't really meet until kind of the ball. But here, Cinderella and the prince, who actually has a name in this version, Prince Christopher, they kind of bump into each other just, you know, in in passing. And that's how this song is set up. Another song that was put into the score was Boys and Girls Like You and Me. Whoever heard of this song? It's for the king and queen, and it was uh, a toss-out from Oklahoma. It was actually written for Oklahoma and then put in for the king and queen. And uh, then there's another one that was a cut from a very famous musical, and that's Loneliness of Evening. And the prince sings that within the ball where he's taken out and he just has this moment of kind of a monologue that's going on in his head. And that was originally in South Pacific, and then it was cut. Uh, it was originally for the Emile de Beck character. And then it ends with There's Music in You, which actually is used in the, in the 1997 version, I think. And yes. that was a very unusual song, too. It was a one-off written for an MGM musical in 1953 that crashed and burned. It was a big bomb called From Main Street to Broadway. And it was just written for that. And that's it, that one song. Plus, we have taken the score and added to it because we have a wonderful singing actress for the stepmother. And the stepmother in the score as presented doesn't really get a song by herself. But in the 1997 musical, that wasn't the case, right, Dana? That was not the case. They put a song in for Bernadette Peters, who was playing the stepmother, and it was called Falling in Love with Love. First of all, it's the oldest of the songs that were in there because it's a Rodgers and Hart song, not Rodgers and Hammerstein, 
Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart, and it was originally in Boys from Syracuse. But they did a couple of changes to the lyrics to make it fit in a little bit better. So Dana said, I want that song in there. Yeah. For- yes, and Larry was amazing and was willing to work with me on that. And, you know, we found our way. And, of mm-hmm. course, the actress is thrilled mm-hmm. to be able to do the song. So we're excited. It's, it's, it's really kind of adds a little, an, another funny element in there. Because there's lots of humor in this show. There is. I think our audiences will say, yes, it is a sweet fairy tale story. But there is a lot of humor and just a lot of things that will make you smile. Just because mm-hmm. it really is a joy to even just sit back and listen to them sing. And what did you need to do, Larry, in terms of having the people you do have in Mm -hmm. the cast as a music director? Did you have to make any adjustments? I did. I did. The arrangements, first of all, they took took a a standard old-fashioned musical, which would have some dialogue and a song and dialogue and a song and dialogue and a song. And they made it a little bit more through composed, so there's a lot of underscoring. So you move almost seamlessly from song to dialogue to song to dialogue. And there's very few actual stop, you know, blackout, and then go again. And so it's a very rich arrangement. The The choral writing is very colorful, and the chords are, are very complex. It's written for a large Broadway chorus. Now, the music box stage is not that big. Even if we had a large Broadway, we couldn't fit them on there to sing six parts. So I rearranged all the choral writing for this particular talents of this group, but tried to keep all of the richness of the harmonies in at the same time. And on this note, the orchestrations, we're we're using pre-recorded tracks, which is common now in in theaters. What amuses me so much is whoever did the orchestrations and they, they really appreciate and know music. Some of it sounds, some of it sounds like Korngold, Eric Wolfgang Korngold in the orchestration. Some, sometimes it's like whoever the arranger was, put that in because somebody's going to pick it up because that's Wagner right there. You know, just the way they, they set, set it and put in that. And then other times in A Lovely oh, Night, yes. A Lovely Night, that one. Okay, so the arrangement is kind of like, and you'll appreciate this because I know you, you like this kind of music. It's kind of like this 1920s, 30s British kind of setting with just the way a saxophone is used and the piano tinkling away off beats and things like that. It's just, it's so much fun. If, if you're really into music, you just have fun listening to the, the arrangements. But one thing that isn't in my wheelhouse, and I can't wait to see because it's only been described to me, is the transformations. You know, in TV, you have a way to kind of get that to work. But Dana has really put a lot of thought into how we get the pumpkin and, and the Cinderella from her rags into her, into her gown. So tell us a little bit about that. So I'm constantly on YouTube looking at various theater videos and how you can do things. And of course, with the talents of Michael Gallagher, I show him, you know, a simple TikTok video of how they transformed the pumpkin into the carriage. And just by showing him that video, he was able to design it and have it cut out and it's going to indeed do just that right before the audience's eyes the other thing that i looked at and saw our stepmother is quite the seamstress her name is amy novak and she's amazing and i asked her and approached her if she would make our transformation dress and i said i'd love cinderella to change right on stage 
And sure enough, she has a dress rigged that she will rip off and the wig will come off and she will be completely done up for the ball with fog and Mm -hmm. animals transformed. And I think it will be a show-stopping moment right there. Yeah, just between the fog and the lighting and all of that, people will say, how do they do that? Yeah. And that's, I guess, what you really want. Yeah, just to make it that much more exciting. We can make it happen off stage, and we can make it happen quick. But how cool is that to Mm -hmm. have it happen right before their eyes? But And it's enchanting. I mean, it's a fairy tale. It's it's taking us somewhere that doesn't really exist, you know? (laughs) We want to take the audience there, too. Utilizing the talents of our crew, Mm -hmm. and by asking people based on their strengths, that's the way you can make things like that happen. Let me ask you then, this is a good time to raise, what does it mean for us to see something like this now, at this stressful time in the 21st century? Do we get a message? Do we just get enchanted and get away from it all? Some of each? I think it's a little bit of each for, for sure. I think it's a nice escape from reality for a couple hours, a way to make you smile, and also to just really appreciate the talents of of what we have in this area because it, it's quite incredible and how everybody does such different things throughout the day. But yet we all have this common denominator that at seven o'clock we gather there after a long day and we put in hours together at night, almost till 1030. We run sometimes and it's just amazing to see. And then and then people from our area come and support it and it, it just goes full circle. Well, to me, a message would be who are you looking for as your lifetime partner? And so we have the one point of view from the stepmother and in falling in love with love, you know, falling in love with love is falling with make believe, you know, she's always pushing her daughters. You got to get married for money. You got to find the right match. You have to do that, you know, and getting married and finding that partner. That is what she wants. Then we have the, the prince Who's looking for, you know, because he is the prince, usually those are arranged marriages. Well, he doesn't want that. He wants to marry for love. And where is he going to find this? And he doesn't really want to go to the ball, which is meant to pair him up. But then he finds the love of his life. So do you find your partner because of love? Or are you just getting married because it's a pragmatic thing? So there is a point there. There's a, a little bit of a lesson. I think you both wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you didn't believe in the power of theater, no matter what it is, having people in an audience live with performers across the lights. (laughs) Well, sure. I mean, there's nothing like live performance for so many reasons. I mean, both as the performer and as the audience. And as a performer, you really do feed off of the audience and the the excitement of the audience. Absolutely. But... The, the audience is craving something, and you know that, and you want them to go away and say, I had a, such a great time. You know, that was great. I, I, you know, what I like to do is, wow, I just saw this. I can't believe this it was in Swiresville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I... And we it, get it, that all the time. Yeah, that, that would make, say, oh, I succeeded, you know. <laughs> but yeah, the power of theater, as you know, goes back to the Greeks. It, 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 it heightens... The emotions by having it sung, you have the, you know, the beautiful costumes. And as you said, for this stressful time, it takes us away. It gives us, it gives us a break from being battered by information that's coming from all places. And we just say, here's something I know, Cinderella. (laughs) Yeah. You're a mother. You said you're a mother. Have you read Cinderella too? Oh, yes. So my daughter actually plays a little mouse in the show. And she's still making up her mind if it's really something she loves to do. But I said, you know, that's okay. I have a niece who I think is going to step right into the spotlight with no problem. 
But yeah, I remember reading her the story as well as watching the Disney movie, which is what she was expecting it to be more like, where I explained the mice do not talk like they do in the, and that the cat is not as evil <laughs> as he was, you know, so it was hard for her to understand. But I think she realizes there can be other versions of fairy tales, you know, and I explained Disney does that a lot with a lot of stories. But yeah, I think it'll give her a new appreciation for this fairy tale, for sure. And so this production is for young and old. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah, because there are jokes that only an adult will get. And there are moments that are, are definitely something that some of us have actually lived through. Those of us who have fallen in love, sure. you know, and it gives you that, you know, if if. if you know, been married as long as I have, almost 40 years now. And whenever you see something like that, it kind of transports you back to when you first fell in love. And gosh, isn't that a nice thing? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, it's definitely a travel back in time, mm -hmm. like you said. And yeah, just an amazing thing to be a part of. I too, like Larry, just love, have a soft spot for the classics mm -hmm. and, and especially keeping them relevant in, in today's world where everything has a different version or a newer mm -hmm. version. This did have a revival on Broadway actually less than 15 years ago, and they changed so many things about it. But just some central things stayed the same. But I, I don't know. Something about this version just kind of mixes a little bit of the old and the new. And Larry, wearing your musical theater hat, what do you love about Rodgers and Hammerstein, that combo? What I love about Rodgers' writing, well, and, and Hammerstein together, is the lyricism of it. It's a very lyric writing. And I could go on for days about how Rogers wrote differently when he was setting Hart's words. And, and sometimes it actually worked the other way. Like Rogers would write a tune or something and Hart would put words to it, which I'm pretty sure if I read this correctly, that Hammerstein actually wrote the words and he set them. And Hammerstein is very lyric in his verse. And Rogers is able to then write this melody and many of his melodies are rather simple and, and stepwise. And this gives a singer an opportunity to just let the voice just soar and to just kind of move along in waves as, as you, you spin out this tune. And that's what I admire about Rogers. It's, it's so grateful for the singer. And when you have a singer, and we have some really fine singers, our Cinderella is a beautiful singer. Our prince has a lovely voice. You know, you just get carried away just with the with the tunes. Uh, that's what I I enjoy. And what about Dana when you're in the music box playhouse? And as you suggested, it's a smaller space. And aside from the haha moments, the transformational moments. What about working with everyone to get the blocking and getting everybody in and out and on and so forth? What fun are you having and what are some of the things that you've had to cope with? Yeah, that's my favorite part, I think, honestly, of directing is thinking out the logic of each movement. And I try to let them know there's a reason why I'm having you exit this way and why you have to come on that way. And so now as more scenic elements are getting built and put on the set, they'll understand it even further. But it's it's so much fun to be able to take something on a page like that and animate it. And I sometimes go into too much detail and I think I get inside my own head not thinking it's animated enough. But then, you know, once you see it come alive, it's pretty cool to see what you just worked on. Well, just for, for an example of what I've witnessed now, when Dana was working on the set and getting her concept, 
obviously the staircase, the, the ballroom will have a staircase. It's way upstage. It has a platform that is high. It's above the, the height of any of the actors on the floor. So Cinderella appears. That's where she appears the first time is on this platform upstage in this glorious, beautiful gown, right? And then the way the music is written, it's like a gasp in the music. And there are a couple of other interesting things. There's a series of these stinger chords that happen. And the way that Dana has blocked it. So you, you imagine the ball, you have a, a ballroom full of people. Downstage is the prince who's looking for his love. Way upstage is the princess that's going to be his love. And in between are all of the other attendants, you know, attendees of the ball. And on these stingers, ba-da, ba-da, da every time everybody's head goes first to the, the prince and then snaps ba-da to Cinderella and then da-da back to the prince and da-da back to the... So it, it's almost a magical moment with very simple moves, but it's going to be a, a moment that, gosh, I could connect in with that. <laughs> you know, I could see that actually being being an attendee and doing that myself. It's, and you could see it. the cast having fun with yeah. it too, which mm -hmm. is the most important thing. They're starting to get more comfortable with their lyrics and all of their lines. And then now they're starting to really let go and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And we keep seeing it evolve each night. So I can't wait till we're before a crowd. Oh, and the ugly stepsisters are hysterical. Oh, oh that they are. Gosh. They have us in <laughs> stitches. And that it's like a competition between the two of them as to who's gonna egg which one on more mm -hmm. the next night. Glass slipper? We do. So they're actually like these see-through plastic high heels that she wears and will waltz in, God love her. I found them online because of course we wouldn't be able to use actual glass shoes, but they certainly do Imagine the job. how uncomfortable that would be. Yes. She said they're not the most comfortable shoe to <laughs> well, wear, but- Well, glass slipper, imagine what wearing She's happy to, to do it. And of course, there's a whole scene where the search is on for the woman who fits the shoe. And I, I'm not giving too much away, but you know, you might want to be um, prepared should Lionel, the uh, the steward to the prince, might be coming down and trying to, you know, see if the shoe fits you. Right. <laughs> not having any luck on stage. So let's try it in the audience, because why not? It's Absolutely. like not breaking the fourth wall, but yet breaking it just enough in a way where we're addressing them, but not speaking yeah. directly to them. It's fantasy. Yeah. And it works. And it's just a good time. It really is. Where and when? So we open Friday, September 8th, mm -hmm. and we run through the 24th, and that's Friday's and Saturday evenings, and then Sunday we do a matinee. And so you have tickets for the dinner and the show or for the show alone. So if you're having the dinner, you would arrive around 6.30 with the curtain time at 8 in the evenings. On the afternoons, you would arrive around 1.30, and then the curtain would be at 3. Musical director Larry Voitko and stage director Dana Feigenblatt speaking with us about the Music Box Dinner Playhouse production of Cinderella, the Rogers and Hammerstein musical. The show will open September 8th and run through the 24th, and that's at the Music Box Playhouse, 196 Hughes Street in Swoyersville. And Swoyersville is in the Wyoming Valley, across the river from Greater Wilkes-Barre. For more information on the web, musicbox.org, musicbox.org 
September 8th through the 24th. Shows Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sunday matinees at 3 o'clock. And if you choose the dinner option, dinner begins Fridays and Saturdays at 6.30, and the Sunday matinee dinners begin at 1.30. Cinderella, Rodgers and Hammerstein, presented by the Music Box Playhouse in Swarsville, 196 Hughes Street, running September 8th through the 24th. Our old friend Larry Voitko is the musical director. He is currently host and co-producer of WVIA-TV's Keystone Edition Reports. He has retired from WVIA Radio, and we miss him very much. And director Dana Feigenblatt speaking about the production. For more information, musicbox.org, musicbox.org.